sometimes we just need to remind ourselves that Jesus loves you. If I can try it in Spanish, Jesus te ama. See? Jesus te ama. Folks, Jesus loves you. Let's go to the book of John, chapter number 3, and verse number 16. Book of John, the third chapter, verse number 16. Somehow when, when I sing that song, it just simplifies everything again. We, we, make, we make the things of God so complicated. And that, just, that song just takes me back to my childhood when it just simply was me realizing that Jesus loves me. Amen. John chapter 3 and verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting Let's jump over to another writing of John, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. 1 John is uh, one of his letters at the back of the scripture. 1 John chapter 3. It's just shortly before Revelation. I think John knew something about 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. This is how we know or perceive the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Amen. Would you tell somebody near you, before you're seated, Jesus loves you? It's okay. Tell somebody else. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. Again, so good to see everybody in the house of the Lord this morning. Praise God. Jesus loves you. There was a man who was... Um, nicknamed Artful Eddie. Artful Eddie. He, he had lack of nothing. He was one of those slick lawyers during the... One of the cronies of a man that you might know as Al Capone. He ran Al Capone's dog tracks. He mastered race by overfeeding seven dogs on the 8th. Something's happening with my mic this morning. He had wealth. He had status. He had style. Artful Eddie. Let's, let's try this. Let's test. There we go. So he lacked nothing. He had everything that anybody could want during that time and the question then comes 
comes to the point of why then did he turn himself in? Why did he offer to squeal on Al Capone? What was his motive? Didn't Eddie know that the, the surefire consequences of ratting on the mob? What was it that Eddie had to gain? What could society give to him that he didn't have already? He had money, he had power, he had prestige. What was the hitch? Eddie revealed the hitch. It was found in his son. Eddie had spent his life with and around the despicable. He'd smelled the stench of the underground long enough. But for his son, he wanted more. He wanted to give his son a name. And to give his son a name, he would have to clear his own. Eddie was willing to take the risk so that his son could have a clean slate. So artful Eddie, he never saw his dream come true. Because after Eddie squealed, as we all know the reach of the mob, the mob remembered what he had done. It was two shotgun blasts that silenced Artful Eddie forever. Was it worth it? For the son, it was. Artful Eddie's boy did indeed live up to the sacrifice. In fact, he has one of the best known names in the world. What would cause a man who would have uh, nearly everything that he would want to walk away from it? What would cause a man who knowing the trouble he would face, why would he do such a thing as Eddie did? What would cause this man to lay down everything and put it all on the line, knowing the potential for retribution? As my son probably now knows, it would be the love of a father, felt in the heart, demonstrated in his choice. As we have discussed on Wednesday nights, and by the way, uh, I want to encourage everybody to be here Wednesday evenings for Bible study. Uh, we are just starting a new series on the blessed man, uh, so I encourage you to be here. But as we've discussed over the last number of weeks, we, we talked about the love of the world in the previous series. And the word love, as was found in the book of 1 John, in, in the particular verses we were studying, there were two uh, uses of the word love in one scripture. Uh, the first was that of the Greek word agape, and the second was the Greek word agapeo. And the Greek word agape is uh, defined as love. It is the feeling of that warm personal attachment or deep affection as a parent for child or friend. It's a person, uh, a person toward whom love is felt, and love is the feeling of attachment or affection, uh, as we would define it in, uh, from the scripture. It is that unconditional love or a decided love. But the word agape is really the noun form. It is the existence of the thing. If you go back to your English classes in school, you understand the, the, the difference between a noun and a verb. And so... The, the word agape is the noun. It's the existence of the thing. It is the love itself. 
But the word agapeo is the action. It's the verb form of that word. It's the evidence of that intangible feeling. It's, it's the proof in the pudding, so to speak. It's the showing of that love through gifts and actions and various kindnesses. What we need to understand this morning is that the noun causes the verb. Everybody with me? You guys all just checked out because I, I've given you English lesson. Glad you didn't put your head down in your desk and put your hoodie over your head. It's the noun that causes the verb. It's, it's the feeling, the existence of the love that causes you to show love. If you don't keep up with me now, you're going to be gone for the rest of the service. If you love someone, it's not good enough just to, to have the love. You've got to show the love. You've got to give the love. As someone once said, love is a verb. You've got to put it into action. Amen. So we speak a lot about faith in, in serving God, and, and we understand what James says about faith, that faith without works is dead. To reveal or let our faith be revealed or shown there's got to be something that goes along with it. There's got to be an evidence of that faith that comes out. Because what is in a man will come out. And it will reveal what is inside. And that love that we have, it must be revealed. It must be shown. There must be an evidence of that love. So love without works is much the same as faith. Just ask the husbands if they don't get something for their wives on Valentine's Day. Love without works is dead. <laughs> the husbands are trying to, to, to let me know that they understand without letting their wives see them. Love is not just the feeling. Love is the action. And it's the action that gives the impact. You can say you love someone all you want to, but if you don't show them that love, then it means little to nothing. All the wives say amen. Guys, it counts for you too, but I'm not going to try to explain that. You've got to show love because you feel love. Another way to say it is you love because you love. And God is the same for us. He loved us because He loved us. He loves you because He loves you. Hallelujah. His love is revealed to you every day that you live, every breath that you take, every morning you get up, 
Hallelujah. His love is revealed to you in the fact that you're here this morning getting to be in his very presence uh, and feel that presence uh, and be impacted by that presence. Uh, hallelujah. He's showing his love to you because he's giving you another opportunity to get right with him. He's giving you another opportunity to draw closer to him. He loves you because he loves you. Now, we understand when we're talking about the noun and the verb. I'm not leaving that alone yet. Don't check out on me. But love as a noun, we understand from what John writes in 1 John chapter 4. We go one chapter after our, uh, the reading of our text. In John chapter 4, verse 8, it uh, tells us that he that loveth not knoweth not God. Why? It's the existence of it. That's who he is. That's just who he is. God is love. That's the, that's the noun form. It's the existence. So, so it, it's, it, it, God will reveal, and we're gonna, I'm get, I can't get ahead of myself, but, but God will reveal his love because that's who he is. God is love. Go just a few verses later in, in verse number 16. We have known and believed the love that God has to us. Why? God is love. God himself is love. Our ability and our capacity for love comes directly from God. And if, in case you didn't notice it, in the book of Galatians, it is the first of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is... Praise God. So it flows from Him into us, and we get to be not only recipients of it, but we also get to bear the fruit of it. And so the feeling of love that we have is the feeling that God feels toward us. That is the existence of the thing. And God feels love toward you and I. Because we are, as the psalmist said, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. When we read in 2 Chronicles 2 verse 11, the portion of scripture says that the Lord has loved his people. In 1 John 4, verse 19, we go back to John's writing. It tells us that we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. It's the existence of the thing. There is love in us. There is love that we have capacity for. There is love that fills our being when we are connected to Christ. It's the existence of the thing. But the existence of the thing must be revealed. It must come forth. And so we read in our text, what did God do? If God is love and from the beginning he loved Adam and Eve, he loved all of those who would come after them. In fact, he loved every one of us 
So much so that he already had a plan in place for our salvation. And so we read from John's writing that God so loved the world, not just the existence of the thing, but there came about an action. God so loved the world that he gave. Love was put into action. Love caused a response. Love moved God to do something in that love for you and I. Hallelujah. And John writes in that other portion of our text in 1 John 3, 16, how do we know the love of God? How do we perceive the love of God? How do we see the love of God? What does he say? Because he laid down his life for us. It wasn't just the existence of the thing. It wasn't just the fact that God is love. It was the fact that God did something with that love towards you and I. Other words, that love that God is, it would not have had the impact. It would not have had the influence. It would not have changed our living if it had not been put into action. And how do we know the love of God? How do we perceive the love of God? We have evidence because God himself was manifest in flesh. And he himself came to bleed and to die on a cross to show us that love. What did he do to prove his love? 1 Timothy 3.16 Paul writes to the young preacher and says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. How do we know the love of God? We see that God himself. Folks, we've got to understand that when the writer says that great is the mystery of godliness, it's not a matter of who God is. Because God has made it very clear who he is. It's not a question. He is, he is one. He's all by himself. There's no other God before him, behind him, beside him, on his right or his left. There's only one God. We know him by his, his covenant name in the Old Testament of Jehovah or Yahweh. So he hasn't, he hasn't left that a mystery. So it's not a mystery of who God is, but the mystery is how God does what he does. The fact that God, who is spirit, could become man. That God who could not bleed could become man that he could bleed. I don't understand that. I can't comprehend that. But I'm sure thankful for it. I'm sure grateful for it. I may not get it. I may not know how he does it. But I'm sure thankful that he loved me enough 
to do something that I may not understand or comprehend to show and reveal his love. Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said it this way. He said, but he made himself of no reputation. And he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. God is love. And God, in his love, became man. To show, who, to show who he was, to show who he is. Hallelujah. He not only uh, was the existence of the thing, but he put himself into action. He put himself into action. He became man. And he became man for a purpose. To accomplish a specific task. So that his love might be requited. So his love would be responded to. So his love would, would be given back. Praise God. Jesus foretold what was going to happen as he showed his love to us. In Mark chapter 10, verse 32, they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. Jesus went before them. They were amazed, and as they followed, they were afraid. He took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. They shall mock him and shall scourge him. They shall spit upon him and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. He was telling them, I'm going to show my love to you. I'm going to show and reveal my love to you. You may not understand what is going on. You may not understand why it's happening. But understand this is happening because I love you. In Acts chapter 8, verse 32, we begin to see that Jesus was falsely accused. Luke, in his record, he says that the place of the scripture where, which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation... His judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom the prophet, uh, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man. And then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Why would he allow such a thing to happen? If God is the Almighty that we sang about this morning, if God is indeed the King of all kings and the Lord of lords, why would he allow such a thing to happen? 
very simply put, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. If I could just get you to remember one thing before you leave today, is that those simple three words, Jesus loves you. Hallelujah. We see Jesus in showing his love to you and I, in revealing his love to all the world, to all of humanity for all time. We see that Jesus was mocked in Matthew 27, 29, when they plated a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him, and they took the reed, and they smote him on the head. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he allow that? Turn to somebody near you and tell them, because Jesus loves you. In Luke 22, verse 63, the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously that spake they against him. Why would he allow this to happen? Because Jesus loves you. Thank you, Joey. Because Jesus loves you. Why would anybody go through such torture and such pain? Hallelujah. To, to save another because of such great love. In John chapter 19, we see probably the most horrific sight that's, that any of us could imagine. In John chapter 19, verse 1, the Bible tells us that Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. It was indeed a horrific sight. I was teaching in Bible study the other night uh, to Dylan and uh, Casey and Derek, and we were talking... And the reality is, is that the Romans, they felt like that to, to kill a person was a release from this life. It was, it was a good thing to die because they, that was how they got to, got to their heaven, Elysium. So what the Romans did is they, they tried to prolong death as long as they could for those that they were trying to, to punish they tortured them. And they tried to torture them for as long as they could before they would die. That's why on the cross they, they would hang there for hours, even days, before dying. They wanted them to feel as much pain and suffering as they could. And what we see in Jesus is when Pilate took him to scourge him. This was a punishment called the Roman half-death. They would tie him to a whipping post. And they would beat him with what was called the, the scorpion. 
long, thin strands of, of leather with, with steel globes and hooks coming out of the end of those globes. And, and they, would, they would hit the flesh and bruise and possibly break bone. And the hooks would grab into the flesh, yanking the, the skin and the, and, the, and the muscle. His back just torn apart. Isaiah tells us in chapter 53, verse 5, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Why? Why would the God of creation allow himself to be subjected to such things. Why would he allow himself to come under the power of someone like that? Because Jesus loves you. Because Jesus loves you. From there, carrying his cross up the hill to Calvary. Hands and feet stretched out, nailed to a tree. It's amazing that he even lived that far. Even crying out there on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Why? Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Paul writes to the church and he says, Hope makes not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely will a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commends, or God shows, or God reveals His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Jesus loves you. He loves you. Hallelujah. I'm not just talking to the person next to you or in front of you or behind you. I'm talking to you this morning. Each and every one of you need to know that Jesus didn't die for everybody else and leave you alone. No, he died and suffered for you because he loves you. What did you do to earn this? There's nothing you can do to earn this great love. He loves you because He loves you. He loves you because He loves you. He does what He does because He loves you. Not because of how much money you've got, not because of how wise or smart you are, not because of your house or your car or your job, not because you can ever be good enough. Jesus simply loves you. He loves you in spite of your problems. He loves you in spite of your circumstances. He loves you in spite of all the things you've got going or you don't have going. He loves you no matter the circumstance. He loves you no matter the depth of sin that you've gone to. He loves you because He loves you. 
I hope you hear this preacher this morning. No matter what you've done, no matter who you've been, no matter where you've gone, Jesus loves you. It doesn't matter the condition of your soul. It doesn't matter the condition of your life. As you sit here this morning, or if you listen to this later on, hallelujah, it doesn't matter the condition that you are in. He loves you. And He loves you enough not to leave you in the condition that He finds you. Folks, if you want to be saved, if you want out of the circumstances and situations that you're in, you've got to give it all to Jesus. He won't leave you in the same condition that He finds you. Folks, that's, a, that's, just, that's just the truth of it. You say, but pastor, I'm still going through some things. Oh, you're still going to go through things. You ever seen a car get restored? There's some sandblasting that has to happen. There's some, there's some pulling dents out. There's some, some fine-tuning and tweaking and adjusting. There's even some, some things that have to be taken off and, and things that have to be put back on. It's not always going to be sunshine and roses. But everything you go through, hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. So what you're going through, knowing that Jesus loves you enough, He's with you in the midst of it. He's giving you strength to get through it. Hallelujah. He has shown his great love to you. When you don't love yourself, when you look in the mirror and you don't see the image of God, when you don't see your own worth or value, when you've given in to temptation and sinned, when you failed and when you faltered, when there seems to be no hope of things changing for the better, Jesus loves you. While you were yet a sinner, He loved you. When you gave in to temptation and lust of your flesh, Jesus still loves you. When you don't love yourself, Jesus loves you. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb, and He loved you. His love hasn't changed. His love hasn't wavered. His love isn't like man. His love isn't like anybody in this world. His love is steady and consistent and faithful. He loves you because He loves you. And He's not throwing in the towel on you. What Jesus has done is the evidence of the love 
that he has for you. The blessings that he provides every day, every breath that you breathe, every movement that you get to make is a blessing from God. The mercy that he gives that is new every morning, the grace that he gives that abounds greater than all of your sin, the provision that he provides to you every day, the protection that he gives to you from all the things and the ways of this world. He gives his love because he feels his love towards you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. He's rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Turn to someone near you and tell them Jesus loves you. Would you stand with me this morning? brings me back to Artful Eddie. The Chicago mobster who squealed on Al Capone so that his son could have a fair chance. Had Eddie lived to see his son Butch grow up, he would have been so proud. He would have been proud of Butch's appointment to Annapolis. He would have been proud of the commissioning of his son as a World War II Navy pilot. He would have been proud as he read of his son downing five bombers in the Pacific night and saving the lives of hundreds of crewmen on the carrier Lexington. The name was clear. He would have been proud that his son received the Congressional Medal of Honor. And now when people say the name O'Hare in Chicago, they don't think of gangsters. They now have the example of aviation heroism. When you hear the name O'Hare related to the International Airport in Chicago, you have something else to think about. Think about the undying dividends of love. Think about it the next time you hear. Think about it the next time you get a chance to fly into Chicago. He wasn't any longer the son of a gangster for his father gave his life that he may live. That's what Jesus has done for you. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He suffered, he died that you might have life and that more abundant. He suffered and died as the evidence of the love that he has towards you. He loved you because he loved you. Because he loved in such a manner, it is now in your hands to love and respond back. As we read in 1 John 4:19, we love him because he first loved us. 
And so it is this morning for you to give your life to Him. To love Him because He first loved you. I invite you this morning to respond to His love. To come to an altar to pray. Repent of your sins. To find that that relationship, that response and love back to the Lord. Rededicate your life, your heart to Him. Hallelujah. Would you find that place of prayer this morning? Respond in love this morning.